Guys, are you ready to receive God's word? You know, I emphasize that because it's, it's a choice to be ready and to prepare our hearts. And it is possible to sit through an entire service and say, you know what? I didn't sense anything. I didn't receive anything. I, I just, but that might be that, that you didn't have the right heart because it really does depend on the attitude and the heart in which you have when you come in and when you receive. Because God will always speak. The Bible says his void never, I mean, his word never comes back void. Meaning it will accomplish its good purpose unless you close your heart off and has no place to land. It will receive its purpose in somebody else's life, but you can actually miss yours. So the choice is ours. How many of us are ready? Come on, put a smile on your face. You know, having a, a, a smiling heart helps. I told my son we were practicing some math, and, and sometimes math can be a challenging subject for him. And I told him, if you smile, it's easier. Do you know that? It really is, because you start changing your outlook, and you start feeling better. Some of us need a smile right now. If you haven't been smiling through worship, then you've missed half the message already. You, you got to smile and believe that God wants to bless you. Happy Father's Day, fathers. I'm going to preach a message uh, dedicated to you and, 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 and designed to bless you. But, it, but it's not just for you. It's for everybody. You first and then for everybody else. Now, as I was praying, Lord, give me a message for the fathers. You know, it's interesting because I've heard people tell me they've said things like, you know what, pastors always hammer the dads. They, they just like, they just kind of... They just kind of beat up on the dads. Mom, Mother's Day comes, uh, you know, a month earlier. And for moms, you know, they brag on moms and, and, they, and they tell about the greatness of ladies and women. And then they tell all these great stories. But then dad's message comes along and they go, bam, dad, this is what you should be doing. This is how you should be doing it. This is, you know, so today I thought, um, Lord, what would you have for me? And he said, bam. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> So, uh, no, no, uh, listen, you, you may be here today and you may be thinking, man, this, this, this hurts. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you if you let me. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to talk about hurting. We're not going to talk about beating up dads. We're not going to talk about any of that. I asked, I asked the Lord what I could share and, and, and he just gently said, I want you to share the love of the father. I want you to tell him who I am and my amazing love. For them. Keep your eyes on this one thing. And then we just sing about that. Keep your eyes, keep your mind on, these, on this one thing. God is madly in love with you. God is madly in love with you. And in case you're here and saying, oh, I don't, I don't need all that mushy stuff. That, that's, not, that's not for me. I don't need, you know, I, it doesn't really matter. I, I'm secure. I'm, I'm strong. I'm this, I'm that. You know, can I just tell you that's pride talking? That's just pure pride talking. And until you say, Lord, I want to experience that mad, mad, awesome, magnificent love. And I want to, I want to understand it. Holy Spirit, give me, give me revelation of God's love for me. You will be, you will be living less than God intended. You will be living at a level less than God intended. And so today, you know, when you talk about the Father's love, you can't help but think of Jesus because Jesus is the expression of our Father's love for us. 
He came to do two things. He came to save and he came to show us the Father's love. And some say, well, he came to show the Father's love so that we might be saved. Amen. Amen. So I'm here to tell you that that Jesus is that expression and we get into Jesus' ministry, you can't help but but notice something very special about a particular chapter. It happens to be one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. And it's Luke chapter 15 where he tells three stories of the amazing love of the Father. The amazing love of God for you. For you personally. You say, well, no, he was telling the whole world. But do you know he was talking to you personally? If you don't believe me, he, the three stories go like this. There was a shepherd and he lost a sheep. He lost one of his sheep. He leaves the 99. So you are special in the multitude. He leaves the 99 in search of you. Meaning on this great planet, no matter how many there are, you are significant. Then the next story is about a woman. A woman who loses a coin and you might say to yourself, well, was this woman, uh, she, she, what did she do? She lost a coin? I mean, no big deal. We, we walk over pennies all the time these days. Nowadays, people walk over dimes and quarters. They just don't have the same value. Can I tell you, this was of, of unreplaceable worth to her. Why? Because it was, the coins were a part of her betrothal and engagement. This was their tradition in the, in the Jewish tradition We receive an engagement ring. They would receive this ornament of coins. And to lose one would be like to lose the diamond in your engagement ring. And so she turned the house upside down. Turned the house upside down, inside out. And she cleaned it and she cleaned it and she cleaned it till she found it. I smile because some of my men are getting ideas. Maybe I should hide the engagement ring, see what happens. No, don't do that. Because when she finds out you did it, you're in trouble. And so when she finds it, she celebrates it. Now watch, you're important. One in a hundred, one in a million, one in a billion. You're important. One in ten, you're important. There were ten coins. She lost one. You're important. And then the last parable is you're important. One in two. There were two brothers. Two brothers that, that grew up in this father's home. And the younger of the two comes to his dad. But before I read that, I want to introduce the chapter by by telling you not just about the parables, but about the audience. There's a very specific audience listening to Jesus while he's sharing these stories. And you find it there at the very beginning of the book of Luke. Read with me. Luke chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Now, pastor, what's the significance of separating tax collectors and sinners? Because tax collectors were worse than sinners. Can you get worse than sinners? Well, obviously, because they make a point here in the book of Luke to separate them. You say, well, what's significant about a tax collector? A tax collector was the, was the very worst in the Jewish culture. Why? Because Jew, uh, uh, Israel was being occupied by Rome. They were under Roman rule and under Roman taxation. But a tax collector was a a Hebrew who had aligned himself with the the Roman government and, and, and purposely went to get authority from the Roman government to be able to tax his own people. 
And then he would use that authority to extort from them. That means tax them more than what was necessary so that he could make himself rich in the process. They were considered traitors, extortionists, thieves. They were considered the worst of the worst of the worst. And here you have the worst of the worst of the worst following after Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, they wanted to go. Everywhere the sinners, um, Jesus went, sinners wanted to go. You know, do you find it interesting that the king of all of glory is here and the people that are most attracted to him are the worst? You know, it's interesting because nowadays, You don't see those people beating down the doors to church. But but, but if Jesus, we should attract those kind of folks in our lives because they're the ones that know they need hope. Then you had another group of folks. You had the Pharisees and the scribes. Who are those? Those are the religious leaders. Those were the experts in the law. Those that that were all around God's goodness but couldn't receive it. Why? Because of their pride. They were so proud, they didn't realize they needed a savior. And they would look down their nose at everybody else and say, look at those low lives. Why why does he entertain them? Why does he love them? Because to understand Jesus is to understand why he came. And he came to seek and to save those who were lost and to show us the love of a father who loves his children desperately, desperately and tirelessly, and with an everlasting, never-ending love. And so you might be here today and say, but pastor, you know, I kind of wonder, why does he eat with them? Why does he talk with them? What I find so interesting is that, is that Jesus is, is known as a judge, but yet they felt no judgment and condemnation. Maybe it's because that role is not for now. His role is a savior right now. His role is not to condemn right now. Judgment will come, but at the end of the age, right now, his role is to share with you the love of the Father. And some might say, well, pastor, are you sure? Well, quote with me one of the greatest verses in all of scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his what? His one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So Christ's Christ's role is not to condemn. Christ's role is to love and to show the love of the Father. But do you know that when, when you're proud and you're filled with pride, the love of the Father draws you away. When you humble yourself, the love of the Father draws you near. And you see this in the story of the two sons. Turn in your Bibles to verse 11 of chapter 15. Jesus continued. This is the third of of three stories. There was a man who had two sons. How many sons? Two. So you're important, one in a hundred. You're important, one in ten. You're important, one in two. If you have a brother, you're important to God. He had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of of your estate. Give me my share of the estate so that I may go and do what I want to with it, is what he's saying. So he divided his property between them. Now I need you to understand. He could ask, 
but this was completely disrespectful because for a younger son or any son to ask his father for his share of his inheritance was basically saying to the father, I wish you were dead or why don't you hurry up and die so I can have what I want. I'm tired of living here. I'm sick of your rules. I think I can do it better. Give me what's mine because I'm tired of you controlling my life. I'm sick of it. I'm going to go out. I'm going to do my thing because I detest your thing. You say, is he saying all of that? Yeah, that's what tradition tells us. For a son to ask for his portion of the estate prior to his father uh, saying, come son, I want to give it to you, is a complete slap in the face. How many of us know that when we walk away from God and we say, Lord, we can do it our way, we slap him in the face. But I want you to see the father's response to his son. You say, well, how much did he, how much was he owed? How much was he to be given? Well, the Bible tells us in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17, that a younger son would get half of what his his older brother would get. So if the estate, half of the, of what his older brother got, that means he would get a third of the entire estate because his older brother would get two thirds. And so we see that in the book of Deuteronomy and you see here that, that the Bible continues on with the story. Jesus says, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Can I tell you that before he left, he had already left? That's typically the MO. That before we say it, our hearts already felt it. Because our heart is feeling what we end up saying. Before he said, hey dad, I'm sick of being here, I need to leave. He had already thought it for years. And can I tell you, sometimes it's the same way with us and God. We let our hearts wander from God. We let our thoughts wander from God. We begin to accuse God. We begin to think that we know best. And all that's happening is our hearts are turning from the Lord. If you don't believe me, read in the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, the Bible says, as in water, face reflects face. So a man's heart reveals the man. What does that mean? What you're doing is is revealing your heart. And your heart is revealed in your actions, is what the Bible's saying. Listen to what Jesus says. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So his heart was already far from the Father when he spoke it and said, I want to go far from you, Dad. Now, interesting. He felt he needed to go way off. Why? Because he knew what he intended to do would not make his father proud. You know, it's interesting when we're Christians and we decide to walk away from God, we do our thing far from the church. We don't want to have anything to do with the church, his house. We don't want to have anything to do with our brothers. We don't want to have anything to do with our sisters. We just want to rebel and do our thing. And so he found a far off place where he could do his thing. And the Bible says that he squandered all he had with wild living. What kind of wild living? What kind of wild living can you imagine? No, you need to stop. Don't go too far. The truth is we can imagine a lot. And all that you can imagine, I'm sure he indulged in. He had the money to do it, and I'm sure he had friends, and he had an entourage, and he was going from here to there, spending it all. Spending it all. But the Bible warns us about this this hardness of the heart, this wandering of the heart, 
this waywardness of the heart. It warns us in the book of Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Watch this. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. Another way of putting it is beware of that discontentment with God. You know, that's where, that's where the wandering heart begins. We begin to covet with God. God, I feel like you owe me more. God, I'm tired of you telling me what to do. I want to have my independence. I, I, I just feel like you're just trying to control me. Or Lord, how dare you tell me that an affair is wrong? I, I'm in love. And we try to explain things that God's word clearly says are wrong and we call it love. We say love wins and love this and love that, but the truth is God determines what love is. He's the author and perfecter of that love and so he's the one that explains to us what it is. And so we move far from him, but but listen to what, what the Bible says. Beware of covetousness. Another word says against every kind of greed. What it means is to be discontent and not, isn't that what Paul said? I have learned how to be content with the Lord, whether I have much or whether I have little, whatever the situation is. It's not what I have, but the stuff, it's him that I'm content in. As long as I have him, I have everything. Isn't it interesting that both of these sons were so focused on the stuff, they missed the father was the gift. No, no, listen to me. When you have a great father, wouldn't you give up everything to continue to have him? But yet the the younger son is like, I'm sick of you, dad. Give me my stuff so I can go. And they say that absence makes the heart grow fonder. Let's see. Let's see. Because he spends everything he had. And so he basically caused a financial disaster upon his life. Now, what he doesn't cause is what happens next is a natural disaster. See, it's funny how we cause half of it, but then there's things that are outside of our control that finish leveling us off. And the the natural disaster was a famine. Now, Now, it's interesting because we don't really have the concept of a famine. So when the Jewish people are hearing this, they're, they're thinking, oh my goodness, this young man has been so financially unwise. He took all of this money that it took his dad a lifetime to, to, to have for him. He's taken it and in a matter of weeks or months, he's squandered it, he's spent it, he's given it out to everybody. He's having parties, having a great old time. And, and, and what's gonna happen when hard times come? How many of us think about hard times? See, after he had spent everything, there was this severe famine in the land. In the book of Genesis, we hear the wisdom of God shared with Pharaoh. Where, watch this, Joseph shares with Pharaoh the wisdom of God. And this is what he says. Let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. What will this discerning and wise man do? Well, watch this. And set him over the land of Egypt. And let Pharaoh do this. And let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth. That's, the, that's what? 20% of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. Meaning, while there is plenty and the economy is doing great and everyone is working and there's low unemployment. Oh, Pastor, it's almost like you're talking to us today. Be wise. A wise person saves for a rainy day. 
An unwise person has no savings for the rainy day, and when the famine comes, will be in real trouble. And so he ignored the wisdom of his father. He ignored the wisdom of God. And he finds himself, watch this, read with me. He finds himself in this country completely destitute and starving for food. So he went, verse 15, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, I need you to understand who his audience is. His audience are what? Tax collectors and sinners and who? Pharisees and scribes. Okay, so you have the humble and you have the proud. But can I tell you, they're all Hebrew. They're Jewish people. And so I want, to, I want you to consider how, how they're hearing it. Jesus is Jewish. I, I don't know if you rem- remember that. Sometimes we think he's American. He's not American. <laughs> My dad used to say he was Mexican. I'm like, Dad, no. He's not. And he would tell this joke about how Spanish is spoken in, in heaven. And I'm like, Dad, read your Bible. He's Hebrew. And he's speaking to a Hebrew audience and he's telling them that this father has just been so disrespected by, their son, by his son and that his son has gone to a far off country, left his own people. Why? Because he's doing things that the law considers detestable. And now he is broke, busted, and disgusted with nothing and he finds himself in such desperate straits that he is willing to work Listen, to a Hebrew person, to a Jewish person, a pig is unclean. They won't touch them. They won't have anything to do with them. They don't raise them. They don't care for them. They don't have anything to do with them. And yet this son of this, of this well-to-do father is, has, has reached the lowest of the low. Can you imagine what's going on in these guys' minds? These people are saying, oh my goodness, I've been there. These guys are saying, I've never been there, and how dare he? If that were my son, he's dead to me. Oh, I've been there, and I've been considered dead to my father. And so everyone's hanging on and sitting on pins and needles. Just waiting. What, what, is, what is the father going to do? And then this is what Jesus is setting up. And he says this. He says in verse 16. So he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. You know what's interesting? That when you reach your lowest point, it's just you. Who are his friends? The friends he was sure to have. The entourage he was sure to have when he had money when he was the life of the party, when he was spreading it around and everyone wanted a piece of what he had. Now there's no one to be found. He's broke, busted, and disgusted by himself. No one was there to give him anything. And everyone in the audience is holding their breath. And then you have verse 17, when he came to his senses. Can I tell you, that's probably one of the most significant phrases in all of scripture, when he came to his senses. How many of us know you have to come to your senses? Can I tell you, there was a group of people that were ready to come to their senses. There was another group that weren't ready yet. 
They were too proud. All they kept having was indignation. And these guys were ready to hear the love of the Father. The other group was condemning the love of the Father. And so here we have, he came to his senses. He came to that point where he had to reckon with himself, this is not good. I have done wrong. What am I doing? There has to be an uncomfortable feeling to the point that it shakes you from your slumber. And you get to a point where you say, no longer is this good enough for me. No longer will I remain here. I must change my mindset and take responsibility for bringing myself to this point. That's what got him to think the next thing. And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. What is wrong with me? See, the book of Romans tells us, watch this. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance, his long suffering? What are we talking about? We're talking about the father. We're saying sometimes we despise it and we run from it. But that goodness is what we'll remember. Listen to what it says. Not knowing that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. It's that goodness, that love that we ran from that we'll long for someday. That we will say, oh my goodness, what am I doing here? My dad is a great dad. God is an awesome God. So verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against what? Heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You know what this shows? This shows real repentance. This shows I'm tired of my attitude. I have done wrong. No longer will I be the center of attention, but instead, God, I'm going to come back to you. I just want to live in your love. And Lord, I'm willing to just be a servant. What if you come back and said, I'm going to go demand my son, my position as son back? That wouldn't have shown real repentance. That's what got him in trouble in the first place. Isn't it interesting? Oh, we'll keep talking about that later. Let's just keep going. Verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. How important is that in connecting with coming to your senses? See, coming to your senses is not, oh my goodness, I'm in a horrible spot. Coming to my senses is, oh my goodness, I'm in a horrible spot because of me. So I got to get up. Notice. Notice. So he got up and he went to his dad. Now, I want you to see the love of the Father here. Here, Here's where it all starts. But while he was still a long way off, when he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. So immediately the father's heart towards us is compassion. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how despicable. I don't care where it led you and what pigsty you ended up in. God's love for you is compassion. Now let's unpack this verse. Compassion leads you to what? To wait and look for your son. Notice the father wasn't in the house. The servant didn't have to come get him. 
the father was out looking for his son. He sat there night after night, day after day, waiting for his son's return. You know what I find interesting? No one had to tell him, hey, dad, I I think that's your boy. A father knows his son. You grab any father and you say, I'm I'm only going to show you a silhouette of your son. Will you pick him out? I can pick him out. I've always said that about my son. I can pick him out. I can pick out his, his skinny physique. He's nice and thin. His broad shoulders now. I can pick out his, 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 that hair of his, his head. I can pick out his ears. He used to, when he was little, they were big, you know, and he had this skinny little neck. And, and, and now I can pick out this awesome, handsome young man that he's becoming. I can pick out my son. But guess what? doesn't even compare to how God can pick you out. And what is he saying? He's saying one in a hundred, one in ten, one in a billion, one in, 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 in ten billion, one in whatever. He knows you because he loves you intimately. He loves you intimately. And so while he was afar off, he ran to meet him. I need you to understand. He ran, he hugged him, and he kissed him. This is not what the Jewish people were expecting. These are what, these, what this group desperately wanted. This is what this group condemns the father for. They can't understand this kind of love. Why? Because they're still hurting in themselves and trying to make it in their own strength. This group has reached the point where they, they understand they can't make it in their own strength. Do you know that there's a son for each of them? The son that went off and lived wildly was for these. The son who sat in the house, we'll read that next week, who sat in the house and judged his younger brother was for the Pharisees. There's a son for each group. And the love of the father is expressed to both groups. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, I don't care about custom. It was custom that the more nobility you had and the more well-to-do, the less you would run. Because to run would be undignified. To run would to show that, that you, were, you, you had no class. But the more, the more wealth you had, the slower your pace. And you didn't move for others. Others moved for you. So what does this show his son when he sees his father running? Can I tell you? God the Father wants to run to you. Now some of you might be here saying, well, I don't... I don't God, I don't see you here. Maybe because he doesn't see you there. Now that was deep. You might say, but, 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 but God, I don't see you here. And God is saying, maybe because I don't see you there yet. You need to get on the top of the hill. You need to turn toward the cross. You got to get on the path and God will meet you there. Believe me, he'll meet you there. He'll run faster than you run. But, but, but I want him to meet me in the pigsty. God's saying, no, nah, no, nah, I want to see you get up. I want to see you come to your senses. All you have to do is come towards me. And I'm there to run after you, to hug you, to kiss you, to love you, to tell you that you are my son. Now watch this. Then the son said to his father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What's the rest of the, of the speech he, he prepared? I will be a hired hand, so forth and so forth. I've done a bunch of bad things. He was going to go into this long speech. The father interrupts his speech. 
Because the Father doesn't care about all of that. All, he doesn't want you to relive all that shame and hurt. All he wants to know, has your heart come back? If your heart's come back, then that's good enough for me. I'll take it from here. So, but, but, but I, like to, I like to really just kind of focus on all the crud. No, that's the enemy trying to get you to relive it. I can remember one time I was on my knees and I kept asking God to forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And I felt him say to me very, very sternly, I have forgiven you the first time you brought it up. And I have forgotten it, but you keep reminding both of us. Can I tell you the love of the Father is one that he loves you so much that when you turn to him and you ask him to forgive you, you're forgiven. And you might say to yourself, well, Pastor, what, what does this mean for me? Why are you preaching this love of the Father? Because the truth is the love of God and the love that he wants you to know and to realize he has for you will change the way you live. Some of us as parents feel, feel a tremendous amount of pressure that we're not me measuring up. When you connect with God's love, he releases that pressure and helps you realize that even what you've messed up, he can make your path straight. Even when you've taken wrong turns, he'll make your path straight. He can restore what the enemy has broken. He will give you back what he has stolen. He can do more if you just turn the corner, come to the end of yourself, come to your senses and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. And so we finish this way. The father says to him in verse 20, oh, excuse me, 22, but the father said to his servants, quickly bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Can I share a couple of things with you? Point number one is Jesus is sharing with his both, both of his audience the hope of the Father. You say, point number one? You've already preached the whole message. We're just starting with point number one. They're going to go very quickly. Watch this. Jesus comes to share the hope of the Father. What do you mean the hope of the Father? God will never lose hope for you. He created you and he created you for a good thing. He created you to bring him glory. He created you so that you might have a relationship with him. And even when you walk away, God will wait for you and he never loses hope. You say, but pastor, I've lost hope. And I was raised in such a way where my parents never had hope for me. They never said a kind word. I never felt like they had a hope for me. Others might say, well, pastor, my parents had too much hope and, and, and they put too much pressure on me. And others might say, my parents were just right. Can I tell you, God is always just right. And his hope for you is to have a life of joy and peace and goodness and to live it in the fullest way possible. He wants that for you, but you might be feeling, but pastor, I've, I've wasted a lot of years. I've, I've turned my back on God. And you know what? I once thought he had these great things in store for me. I feel like somehow I, I, I wasted it. I took it and I took it for granted. And now, now what? I'm telling you that God is waiting for you. 
He desires to to have you be a son, a daughter again. He desires to make up for all of the shortcomings and all of the struggles and trials and all that you put yourself through. He has hope for you. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says this. He prays that the understanding, listen, the eyes of your understanding would be opened or enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his amazing calling for you. Watch this. Number two, Jesus was explaining in this parable, not only the hope of the father, but the eyes of the father. The eyes of the father are explained in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles, for the eyes of the Lord range to and fro, looking throughout the earth and land, seeking those that he might bless, strengthen, and empower. Those that are called according to his purpose, that are committed to him. So this is what he's saying, what Jesus is saying. When he, when he rounds that corner and he comes over that horizon and, and the father sees him afar off, God will run to you because his eyes are for you. One in a billion, one in an entire city, one in a family, God is interested in you. In you. Okay, so you say, what, 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 what is... What, this thing about his eyes, what? See, some of us feel like God's eyes are always looking to see what we do wrong. Like he wants to impale us or strike us with a lightning bolt or do something, something horrible to us. Can I tell you, that comes from, from condemnation that maybe came through some erroneous teaching of the love of the Father. Or maybe it comes from your heart testifying against you because there's some guilt and based on some actions that you're taking that you need to come to your senses about. But either way, God's eyes to you are filled with love that you might experience real repentance. Real repentance is coming to your senses and saying, my father's love, there's nothing like it. And that's what I want more than anything. Because when I connect with that love, then I know how to be a father. I know how to be a son. I know how to be the best version of me. Because God has a great hope for me. And ultimately, repentance leads to restoration. So watch this. He says, come quickly to his servants. Bring the best robe. What do we mean by the best robe? Well, Isaiah tells us this. Isaiah tells us that he clothes us with a robe. They'll put it up there in a second. For he has clothed me with the garment of salvation, a robe of salvation. Watch this. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. What the father is telling his son is very simply this. He's saying, I don't want to hear about all the shame. You are my son. Your shame and your guilt is washed away. It's washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that robe is the robe that is washed in his blood and you are white as snow. Why is this important? Because you will never experience this awesome hope that Paul was talking about carrying around baggage and shame and guilt and hurt and, and, and oh, what was me? God is saying, take that son. I don't, that's gone. Let me clothe your nakedness in my promise. 
Let me restore you to right stature and good standing in the family of God. You don't have to beg. You don't have to grovel. You don't have to do any of these things because my heart has always been for you. My eyes have always been for you. And now that you've turned back, you get the goodness of my love. This is what I need us to understand is that God's love is unconditional, meaning God loved him even in the pigsty. God loved him. I need you to understand this. No matter where you are, God loved him. God loved him when he was out there doing wild things. God loved him. God loved him when he asked for all of his inheritance and he took off. God loved him. God loved him before he even took off and his heart had turned from him. God loved him. God loved him at every point of his life. What we need to understand is that God's love isn't unlocked and unleashed and unfolded until there is restoration. You say, but, but God loves me. God God's love is there, even in the pigsty, but you're not going to feel it until you come to his home. When you come home and there's no reason, there's, no, there's nothing keeping you from home except you. And so restoration also includes a ring. You know what the ring means? The ring means you're not a servant because servants don't have the authority of a, of a family ring. The family ring has the crest, the family crest, and the family crest has authority to seal and has authority to, to, to enter into covenant. And this covenant that I make with you, son, is that you are no longer estranged, but you are fully restored again, and we can partner and do all that we always planned on doing and live in this awesome life. And then lastly, put sandals on his feet. And kill the fatted calf. You say, Pastor, what does that mean? When the Jewish tradition, sandals, new sandals, were putting away the old. You're coming into a new promise. The time of mourning is gone, and the winter of your discontent has passed. It is now spring, and something new is blooming, and that is the Father's love reuniting us, bringing us back into hope, bringing us back into into relationship. And it's time to celebrate. So you might be here today. I'm talking to my guys. Say, man, Pastor, I'm not used to you preaching to us this way. The reason I'm preaching to you this way is this, is when you connect with the Father's love, it makes you the man you were always intended to be. The husband you were intended to be. The son you were intended to be. It makes your, your heart soft and humble like Christ. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, my invitation is very simple. I don't invite you to experience religion. I invite you to experience the love of a father. I invite you to say, I come to my senses, Lord. I want all of you. I want to bring you my mess-ups, my, my hang-ups. I want to bring you all of my shortcomings. God, will you restore, restore me to, 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 that, to that sonship? And Holy Spirit, would you, would you reveal to me how much God loves me so that I would walk in that kind of promise and newness 
and blessing. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I see hands going up all over this place. Raise your hands high. I see your hands up. Okay, let's pray together. But before we pray, I want you to just look up and lock eyes with me. If you raise your hand, you have your your hand raised. I want you to lock eyes with me. I see your decision. I see your hand. I see your hand. And let me just pray this message, this, this blessing over you. Father, you see them coming to a place of returning to you, of calling out to you. And I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would take each and every person with their hand raised and give them a fresh revelation of your love for them. A revelation that would change the way they feel and view themselves and view you. That they would come to know that you are for them and not against them. That they can count on you. That you are not holding their past over them, but you have washed them white as snow. And today marks the, the first day of the rest of their lives. One as a son of the living God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, meaning when you see them and they pray to you, you see your son Jesus, not them. You also see the ring that they have on their finger to seal and to walk in your authority to call things and to pray things over their own families. There's some fathers here that are wondering about their children. I want you, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit to set their minds at ease and to say, give me your children, I'll take care of them. Ask in my name and it shall be done. Let them know, Lord, in Jesus' holy name, how much you love them. Amen. Foundation, I love you. Have a great, great Father's Day. Come on, let's stand and sing one last time, church, with all of our hearts.